Habakkuk. So I just said it the wrong way, so now you're only going to think of the wrong way. Habakkuk, like think more of the back, and never mind. I don't know a good way to remember this. It's Hebrew. It's beyond me. Um, so that's how we're going to do it, but I want to practice this together because it's, I don't know why. Uh, Habakkuk, let's say this all together. Habakkuk, there we go, good job. We're all on the same page, at least for that one moment there. Um, so forgive me if I go back and forth between them. There are two points for today. God loves you a whole lot, and this book is pronounced Habakkuk. So those are your notes. They fit all within the bulletin, and we're good. The rest of this, hopefully, is much more edifying than that. So we'll be in uh, the book of Habakkuk for four weeks, and then Habakkuk's going to really kind of present some of the situations, some of the problems, some of the perspective uh, that we have as the minor prophets do so well. And then Amos is coming along. He's on deck and he is going to give us six weeks. Yeah, just really directing us to the cross. So, um, so it's going to be good. It's going to be um, a little bit of a, I call it a dissonant gospel. I think the, uh, the, uh, it's, it's the sweetness of the gospel, but it's in uh, a key, a tone with chords that, that we don't often hear, and they're a little strange to us. So I'm very uh, excited. It's been challenging. It's been wonderful to prepare this with the other pastors as well, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So you don't have to stick around for all four weeks, although that would be amazing. Uh, you should, but uh, hopefully there's something here today um, that is very clear uh, for us as we look, uh, as we look and we, we are shown Christ through the book of Habakkuk today. So out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to stand, I'd ask that you stand as we read the words he has revealed to us today in Habakkuk. This is Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so that the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be amazed, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this morning, and this is a heavy text, <laughs> I was just reading it. Um, this morning, I, uh, I thought I'd do a, a little experiment, pretty confident that I could do it well, and it turned, off some, turned up some, uh, some good results here, unfortunately. Um, I just scrolled through some of uh, the regular sites that I uh, check in on the news. I uh, wrote down a couple of, uh, couple of headlines here. So here are some random headlines, uh, current state of today, Sunday, June 9th. Support of impeachment hearings grows. Five arrested after homophobic attack on London bus. Poll, majority want to keep abortion legal. UN says more than four million people have left Venezuela. Michael Gove, I was lucky, or quote, I was lucky to avoid jail over cocaine, end quote. Security forces uh, tear gas uh, Sudan, oh wait, security forces tear gas Sudan protesters. And uh, a, a royal feud threatens many in Nigeria. And this world is broken. 
And I'm not a preacher that just, just hates on the world. But uh, the point here is it's pretty easy to quickly go to the fact that the world is broken. And we have very, uh, a lot of different idols being worshipped that cause all the brokenness we just read there. That's just today. That's just this morning. And that's just looking out. That's not even when I look in at my own heart and my own situation here. I mean, just as a, as, as, as a pastor, I know that many of us are dealing with things like grief, uh, marriage strains, uh, questions about how to uh, parent well or how to father well uh, or how to mother well or how to be a good employee in a rough situation. We feel it. There's this heaviness there. The book of Habakkuk, especially what we have today, it gives us voice to our laments. Now, laments are when our hopes, our right hopes, are not met by reality. We go to these things. If we have a real assessment of what God says he will do and can do in the world, and we look around and we read the headlines and we say, what's happening? This isn't matching up. Habakkuk gives us voice to these laments. Encourage us to take them to God, but to do so rightly. And in the book of Habakkuk, we're going to hear God speak. Even though he's accused of being silent or idle, we're going to hear him speak to us in ways that don't directly answer the question. Or rather, they invite us to see a bigger, maybe higher and wider view of his plan. He is at work, but he's working in ways that are quite unbelievable. Habakkuk, uh, let's jump into this here. Habakkuk speaks first. This is something to note. Um, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. So that's our, that's our first verse. And then the next verse, verse 2, is Habakkuk. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? This is unique to the minor prophets. There are, uh, there are 16 books that are the minor prophets, or that are the prophets, and the prophets always do this same thing, where, I mean, I just challenge you, just go through, uh, read the first verse of any of the, uh, the prophets, and it's going to say something like an oracle came to the prophet or... Uh, or the word of the Lord came to the prophet, or whatever. So it's going to set it up. Verse 2 or 3, that's when the dialogue starts. Every other prophet, God speaks, and the prophet then responds. But for some reason, uniquely, Habakkuk just starts running his mouth. He just takes his, his grievances straight to God. And I've kind of pondered on this a bit, and I think maybe, maybe Habakkuk's like me. Uh, maybe he's extroverted and very inquisitive and doesn't actually catch the social dynamic of don't talk first and just kind of just runs his mouth. Maybe that's it. But I think that the Word of God is divinely inspired to give us more purpose than just a guy running his mouth. I feel like there's a sense here. It's as though Habakkuk is coming to the Lord and he's saying, you know, I'm done. He just slams the newspaper down and says, I'm done reading the Sunday newspaper. I'm done sitting across the table listening to my friends cry about how they don't know how to get out of these tough situations. I'm tired, about, as, as the psalmist says, I'm tired about, about drenching my pillow with tears because I don't know what the heck is going on. I'm done, God. I'm at my end. You gotta help. I know I've been there. Maybe you've been there. And it's no fun. And questions come up. And this is where I think Habakkuk is helpful to us, is that he is going to show us that we can come to God very, very frustratedly. We can come to him with our doubts if we have confidence that he exists and that he says, or that he is who he says he is. Now, I want to unpack that a little bit. 
our suffering, our pain, our doubts, our questions, they come from the fact that we're finite, that we're limited in our understanding, and our understanding of knowledge, understanding of the plan, understanding uh, and, and our ability. Even when we're given information, our finite brains have, have limits to how much they can even understand. And God, God may give us just the straight answer, which he does, uh, and we still don't get it because we can't get it because we're not him. It, our limitedness sometimes makes it for more suffering. Questions like, if I only knew why things were so bad, if I only knew how long, oh Lord, this heavy season would last, if only you would part the waters of my seemingly dead-in situation, I feel like I'm going to drown on one side or get attacked by the Egyptians on the other. you got to work. If you are in that spot, welcome. Because I'm there too. And Habakkuk is speaking to the Lord for us, giving us words that we need to speak to the Lord. So the big urge for today, it's simple, and it's not because I had nothing else to say. It's because I really believe this is the clearest point of our text today. Believe that God is at work. Believe that God is at work. This first point, we're going to see, believe that God is at work even when your experience suggests that he is not. All right, let's go to verses 2, 2, 3, and 4. Habakkuk leads off with four questions. He's going to end up asking five, but the fifth one's for next week. The four questions he asks, how long shall I cry for help? And you won't hear. How long will I cry out for violence and you won't save? How long, O Lord, are his first questions? And then his next two focus on, why don't you just do something while we wait? Why do you make me see this? Why do you look at this and then do nothing. What are you doing, God? I think these first couple of questions, they, uh, they reflect on God's activity. They reflect on what God's doing. Habakkuk is so frustrated because he doesn't feel heard. He doesn't feel like uh, he feels seen, but he senses that the one who can step in and take control just isn't doing that. So he concludes here. He says, just in case you didn't see what's happening here, I I just don't know why you're not doing anything, God. Do do you see that destruction and violence are here? Strife and contention are here. Do you see this? He says, so what, what, what happens when you don't speak or act, God, is that the law is paralyzed. Is that you said you are a God of the law. You give us the law. You clarify allegiance to the law. But you're like the judge who never shows up to the courtroom. Like, what are we doing? Oh, why, 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 why do we come here and just play act that we believe in this thing if the judge isn't actually going to uphold justice? It says, here's why. For the wicked surround the righteous. And so when justice does go forth, what does it say there? It says it goes forth perverted. It's twisted. It's crooked. It's broken. It's not the way it's intended to go. (laughs) I was lucky to avoid jail for cocaine. That seems like perverted justice. Believe that God is at work. 
Here's something maybe, because I, I, I don't have a whole lot of answers. I, I, I don't feel like the Lord gives a direct answer to this, but I want to pause here because Habakkuk is showing us how to rightly approach the Lord. So I, I do want to step back and just say, what, what is Habakkuk thinking? What is his worldview? What is his framework for even asking these kind of questions? Because I feel like growing up in the church, these were four questions that were very inappropriate for me to ask God, and I feel rough asking God. I feel like I'm not a Christian for asking these things, but he believes in God. He's a prophet, and he's speaking to God. There's something he does here. So I'm going to boil this down. It goes to uh, maybe the attributes of God. This is a wonderful, helpful um, tool and study. I think there are many ways that you can, many, many different resources you can go to for understanding the attributes of God. Uh, A.W. Tozer has a great, I mean, extensive work, you know, on, on, on the attributes of God. Reading the Bible and hearing and understanding and learning about the attributes of God. What is his characteristic? What are the things that we can know about him uh, are really helpful to see. There are a whole bunch of them. Uh, I'm just going to pick one of them right now for you. Um, there are things like, you know, justice, love, mercy, um, uh, in, infinite, uh, eternity, um, wrath, uh, 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 many of these other things, uh, omniscience, omnipresence. One of them that, that, that Habakkuk really believes here, I think that Habakkuk believes, is this one called uh, unity. The basic idea of unity is that all of God's attributes always. So all attributes always. It's that all of his attributes come to the table. I think there have been a lot of times where, where we get into a, in a spot of suffering, where I would get into a spot of suffering, where history shows people get into a spot of suffering, and they believe that only God's attribute of wrath and judgment is showing up, and he's kind of thrown love off to the side. He's thrown mercy off to the side. We have a guy named Marcion, uh, who decided that uh, the God of the Old Testament only showed up in, in, uh, in, in, in wrath, and the God of the New Testament showed up in love, and because love is better than wrath, then the God of the New Testament is... See, this is weird. When we start dividing these things, we get, and this is a real thing, and, well, the church said, that's bonkers. Unity. All attributes always. When we read the Bible, when we come to God, we need to know that his justice is there, right with us. His mercy is there, right with us. His love, his wrath are there, right with us. That's a hard tension for us. And again, we're finite, so sometimes this is difficult, but this is a truth. This is how God reveals himself. Maybe if you want to go another step to understanding is sometimes they're more emphasized, but they're always there. As a father, uh, God doesn't just pour out wrath without love on his people. There's an intent. There's a purpose. He's already given them the understanding, the agreements to this. And he says, oh, you stepped over the line. Here's how we go about this. I'll send my prophets out of my love to tell you about the coming judgment. He doesn't just blindside him. God doesn't owe them anything to send Habakkuk, any words. They could just be silence, fire from heaven, and we're done. But he sends love and justice together. So I think I'm expanding this a little bit too long here. All attributes always. We need to understand this when we come to God. When we pray to God, we can pray to him for love and justice and mercy. I believe Habakkuk understands this to a certain level, at least to enough level to bring this to God, because what he questions here is God's integrity. He's, he's, and, and okay, quick definition of what integrity is. It's a state of being whole or undivided. 
So that's kind of a state of being whole or undivided. When we apply that to one's actions, it's basically that that person is who they say they are. Uh, that if I say that uh, I am a loving father, then that I go and be that loving father. Uh, I guess basically an easy way to say is you walk the walk that you talk. That's kind of the easy way to think of integrity. And so what these four questions of Habakkuk are asking are, okay, if you are who you say you are, then do that. I mean, honestly, I, if, if you switch these four questions into a statement, I think the clearest statement that Habakkuk is saying as respectfully as possible is, I know who you are. Do something. Do something, God. Because we're starting to question if you're legit. We're starting to question what's happening here. Habakkuk, like us, in these times, uh, is in a, in a place of suffering, is in a place of, of need, of want. Suffering, though for Habakkuk, is not evidence of God's, um, I don't know, of, of, of his existence, but rather it's a question to his inactivity, his inability. Oftentimes when I am, or maybe when you are, in a place of suffering, we ask questions of God's activity. Are you going to do something? Or his ability, can you even solve this problem? But suffering isn't that, nor is it an pl- invitation for belief. Habakkuk is not turning in his faith. He's not renouncing his faith in these questions. Very much, very much the opposite. He is, believes a whole awful lot, so he asks intensely and expectantly. And this is exactly Habakkuk's question. Lord, you are just, but my experiences seem like the wicked are surrounding the righteous, unpunished. So I'm coming to you for urgent understanding. I believe that suffering, like Habakkuk has, like many of you may have, is the ordained place where trust, where doubt, and where discipline come together to forge a firmer faith. I'll say that again. Suffering is the ordained place where trust, doubt, and discipline come together to forge a firmer faith. Um, Paul David Tripp, he wrote a book. It's phenomenal. It's called, uh, well, he wrote many phenomenal books. One of them is Suffering. Uh, Okay, now I've got high recommendations to read this book. I have read parts of this book. I always have to clarify that because if you ask me to trace the argument, I do not know it. Uh, But He talks about doubt in a way that I've not heard many people talk about doubt, and I think it's a way that Habakkuk thinks about doubt. This is it. Quote, Like fear, doubt is not in and of itself a bad thing. God has given us the ability to wonder and the desire to know and understand. He has wired into us the quest to have our questions answered and our confusion cleared up. He created in us an intolerance of irrationality and contradiction. Doubt can cause you to ask profoundly important questions. Doubt will make you think deeply about very important things. Doubt will allow you to expose and reflect or reject falsehood. Doubt can ignite the life that is reasoned, wise, and protective. Doubt can keep you from being all too naive or an easy target for deception because doubt drives us to know and understand. It has the power to lead you to the one who knows and understands everything. Your capacity to doubt can drive you to God, but 
Not always. This is why we need to talk about doubt. Because this God-given capacity, wrongly functioning, can be disastrous. Habakkuk gives us an example of rightly ordered, rightly functioning doubt. God, I read the Bible, and I look out, and this isn't matching, and I have some doubts. Speak to me. Next week, or I guess the rest of the chapter, he's just going to say, so I'm going to camp out and wait for your answer. Man, what kind of prayer is that? In my pastoral conversations over the years, I've wondered if, uh, if evangelicalism, that's kind of the expression of, of, of Christianity that we're in right now, uh, has pushed this boldness, this confidence of faith, this, almost this militant expression of faith, so much that we've unintentionally eliminated a safe space for honest questions. I wonder if sometimes we, we've truncated this journey of faith to two points. Uh, a, point A is conversion. You're a sinner. Jesus saved you. And then point B is you're a mature Christian. And we kind of skip out on all those doubtful questions that get us to that place of maturity. Habakkuk is just swimming in the middle of the A to B here in question, saying, I believe, help my unbelief. I wonder if we do well in our evangelism, in our discipleship, in our worship, in our mission, if we would be confident in the reality that God is there. God is real. Be confident in the fact that God is who he says he is and then take those moments where our experience suggests otherwise and figure out what we're learning in the midst of that tension. Americans in the 21st century do not like tension. I'm pretty sure Habakkuk and his people didn't like tension either. And when God answers with the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, a very wicked nation is going to come and they're going to exact justice. I'm sure the tension rises a lot. So, I wonder if that place of suffering is a place where trust, doubt, and discipline come together for a firmer faith. And I just want to invite you into that. There's no real push, no application point. It's just maybe make that place of trust and doubt together, a little bit bigger. Maybe in your community group, maybe in your home. There's a way that we can do this rightly, and we're going to see this as God answers. So trust his character. Ask for understanding. I think we've got up on the screen here. Uh, if you don't know, sometimes uh, we're, we're very um, unaware of what we need to know. Uh, verse 5 of James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So that's nice, but I think there's more if we read it in context. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then I'll pause here. And if you are like Habakkuk, and you are in that time of testing, and you're in that time of required steadfastness, if endurance is the thing that you're needing most because we really don't teach or model endurance well in our culture, if maybe that Christian virtue needs to be cultivated in your life, and you're not quite sure how that goes, and you're not quite sure you're getting all your answers, okay, now verse five, if any of you lacks this wisdom or needs this kind of insight, ask God. He gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we can go to him. Now, as someone who really wants to like have a practical 
next step. I'm not sure Habakkuk has given us too much of what the practical next step is. Really what it is, is it's a place, it's a posture. Be okay with that tension, but don't, don't kick it away. Don't embrace it the wrong, wrong way. Sit in light of the fact that God is who he says he is and get to work hearing how your situation is bringing you to understand different aspects of God's plan, uh, God's character. But he doesn't just stop in his character. Okay, so that's a big part of the framework of Habakkuk. Then we move on to God's plan. In verse 5, uh, in my Bible, uh, it actually gives little, uh, like, I don't know, headings up there. Uh, the ESV Bible says, the Lord's answer. That's really helpful because if you don't have that, verse 5, it just a continue run on of dialogue. God is speaking at this point. So if you don't have that, God is speaking in verse 5 at that point. And God says, look among the nations. See, wonder, be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation. And they're going to seize dwellings that are not their own. Believe that God works out his plan. As our next point. Believe that God works out his plan when his plans seem are seemingly unbelievable. I mean, he even says it right here. He says, for I am going to work in your days. Uh, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Like, well, I'll tell you, but you're not going to believe it, but I'll tell you. We'll look at the Babylonians a bit more uh, next week. They're very wicked, and there's something to learn about God's use of them. Our focus today is, is on learning from Habakkuk's understanding of God's character and plan as he presents his complaint rightly to the Lord. He's inspected, expectant of God working out justice. He's frustrated that he doesn't see it happening in his own life. He's tired of the Sunday news. He's tired of the, of, of the rumors of the Babylonians on their, on their way. He's tired of his own people doing wickedness to each other. And his complaint is this world's messed up. And you can fix it, God, but you're idle. Your law is paralyzed and perverted. In verse 5, the Lord replies, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe. One of the keys to understanding the Old Testament, and this is going to be for everything, all of the Old Testament, this is a really helpful hint, is that the Old Testament declares the promises that Jesus fulfills. The Old Testament declares the promises that Jesus fulfills. I'll say it again here in a moment. One scholar says there are several horizons of fulfillment. There's the immediate horizon. So a prophet will say something. He'll say, the Babylonians are coming. So in Habakkuk's time, that prophecy was fulfilled. They come. Uh, there's a more distant horizon. That is, uh, you know, that God's people will be sent all the way into exile, but they will return. Now that's, the prophets never get to see that return. There's 400 years beyond their prophecy. So there's a more distant return of the people. And then there's this ultimate fulfillment, this ultimate horizon, which is fulfilled in Christ. So while Habakkuk is speaking to a situation that gets resolved or fulfilled very close to the words when he speaks them, it's again then fulfilled in Christ. That's a big, that's a big deal. That's a big framework when we understand how the prophets speak. The Old Testament declares the promises that Jesus fulfills. And with that in mind, we're somewhat invited into the imagination of the prophet. Maybe we're invited into the intertestamental. That's both the Old and New Testaments working together to, to help uh, us understand what it means for us 
I got to think that these questions are being asked elsewhere. And the more I've looked at it, the questions of Habakkuk 1 sound a lot like the words of a follower of Jesus standing at the foot of cross, watching. I mean, just imagine a bloody, beaten Jesus suffocating. That, that is actually how Jesus, he suffocated on the cross. There, you're watching that. How long? Do you see what I'm seeing, God? Why aren't you doing anything? Even one doubter says to him, how can he save us if he can't save himself? These aren't questions that Habakkuk thought of. These aren't questions that some other person thought of. These are questions of the human existence. What, what do we do? Can we trust this guy? Is he actually who he says he is? And the Lord answers this. And the way that he answers Habakkuk, Jesus answers he says, I already told you the whole plan. I already told you what's going to happen here. He says, I told you that this is how I would die. I told you this was my plan. I told you that a Savior would pass through such wickedness on the cross. And it would seem as though the law was paralyzed. In that moment of Jesus on the cross, he called the shot. He knew this would happen. It seemed as though the law stood, st stood still. Why this? How is this justice? He says, but it's not a paralyzing of the law. It is a satisfying of the law. Habakkuk helps us to understand a right approach, a right understanding, a right sentiment, a feeling of those Good Friday questions. The prophets paint a very big picture of the cross for us, that we are sinners and that God's judgment will come. Christ fulfills that and that the judgment came on him. Man. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll amend the, uh, that, that second final point. Believe that God's work, uh, God works out his plan. Maybe we just add, believe that God works out his plan. You can go to the next slide. In and through Jesus Christ. That's where we get to. You see, Habakkuk gives us the right words, emotions, reverence, which we should view the cross of Christ. And I wonder, it's, it's, it's potent. It doesn't sound right. It's, it's dissonant. I already said that, you know, before. Uh, because you just don't like to hear this. I, think, I wonder if it's because maybe, you know, at this moment in history, in our expression, uh, in our culture, we've really been conditioned to hear just the good stuff in the Bible, the fun stuff in the Bible. Good Friday is so awful. Confessing our sins together is so not a normal greeting for church. <laughs> but it's right, and God gives us this because God saves sinners. We really need to understand that God saves, but that he saves sinners, that, that, that we're being saved from this wrath, this, this judgment of God in the way that, that the Israelites will have access to through Christ. We're conditioned to prefer Easter Sunday service. We want to hear themes of resurrection, of victory, of second chances, of freedom. We want to hear these things. But we do well to pause for a moment and sit at the cross and cry out, how long? <laughs> Why? Do something. And then listen. Listen for his response. 
So before we get to this final thing, this is going to be next week. We're really going to look into Habakkuk being told, listen to what I'm doing. Right now, he's being told, look and see. I'm doing a work that you will not believe. The Babylonians, that's one thing. You might not believe that. Historians can say, yeah, it's just natural. This is how the you know, rise of nations goes. I think the work that he's talking about is, yeah, one day this wickedness will be taken care of. And heads up, it's not the Babylonians that are the wicked ones here. We do well when we lament, when we bring our complaints to God to first recognize that we are the wicked ones as well. And we're the ones doing this. It's not simply the Babylonians doing wicked things against the Israelites, God's chosen and protected people. Habakkuk doesn't clarify that, which lends us to wonder, maybe it's the Israelites, maybe it's Christians, maybe it's people and members of Parkview being wicked to one another. Maybe it's in what we have done and left undone. Maybe there are things that we're doing right now that are raising up injustice in us. Amos is going to come back here in a few weeks and hit us hard repeatedly that, yes, in fact, you are doing an injustice by the way you live unintentionally. But I would encourage you not to read this and say the news is terrible, the Babylonians are terrible, the world is terrible. We do well. We receive the gospel through Habakkuk well if we recognize that we are also the wicked ones. Our role is not to solve the world's problems. Our role is to ask God confident questions and work out our wickedness by putting it on the cross of Christ and receiving his forgiveness. So I, I want to give some, some hope here, <laughs> some hope because it's heavy. When we cry out, we also then listen. Otherwise, we're just, just really annoying and, 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 and grumbling. <laughs> it's really what it is. The, 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 the Israelites in Exodus learned grumbling is not helpful. Complaining to God and listening for the answer and following through is good. So ask. Seek out his plan. Ask for understanding. Listen for the answer. He's revealed it. Uh, Psalm 1, it says something like this. Blessed is the man who meditates on the law day and night. Read his word. We've been given a gift. It's printed. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it day and night. I'll give one, one, one uh, small clue here or one help here. Uh, the Josh Casey Bible reading plan. Uh, it's not really that crazy. Uh, it's read the book of John. Uh, if you start in Habakkuk, man, you are off to a rough start. Uh, if you read the Bible, start in, in John. Ask the question, who is, who is God? Who is Jesus? I think it's a great one. Um, I think you could read, you know, Romans would be a great one to start with. Um, read, start in Matthew and go on. Read a lot of who Jesus is. You've got to know the end to understand the beginning because it all comes together. But here's maybe uh, an extra thing for as you read. Maybe you just challenge whether you, you've done this method or, or recognized it um, a, a lot or, or just... I don't know, it's, it's a well-worn path. Um, if you read the Bible, wherever you're at, you don't have to read John. You can read wherever you're at. There are three questions that, that my wife and I and our kids ask often, and it's just given such great fruit. It's um, the first question, what does this passage say about God? What do we know of God from this passage? Question number two, what does it say about God's plan? Now, here's kind of the hidden reveal here is oftentimes we go to the Bible and we say, okay, I'm getting ready for work. This is going to be awful. Give me some hope for the day. 
what we do when we ask the question of who is God and what is his plan is it moves us from ourself. We focus on what actually is real, what is substantive. Then we could present our requests to God. Question three to ask, so who is God? What is his plan? The third question is, and what is my response? What is this text telling me to do in response to who God is and what he does? Habakkuk is doing this. He's read the scriptures. He knows who God is. He knows his plan. And now he's saying, how do I respond to this? I'm confused. So I'm going to sit here. I'm going to wait. Because sometimes the response is, wait until I tell you. So that is, the, uh, that is some of the setup for our series in Habakkuk, but also that's just the gospel for us today. Believe that God is at work. Believe that God works out his plan and believe that he works out his plan in and through Jesus Christ. So I want to give us just a few moments before our kids come back here to turn that noise down. I think we can add to the noise of the news by just looking at it and then complaining about it and posting about it and then talking about it and whatever. A lot of what we need to do is just turn that down and say, God, I'm troubled. I'm wicked. Just point that out to me. What needs to change here? I want your law to be upheld. I want your law to go out justly. And that starts with me understanding it and speaking of it and modeling it. So I want to give a moment as we pray to individually kind of go there with God. I think Habakkuk prays a whole bunch here to God. I think we do well to mimic him. And my hope is that we don't just do this on a Sunday, that we just find regular times to pause. Say, God, what am I doing? This and maybe, you know, before you eat is a great one. It's already there. Sometimes uh, most of us pray right then. Pause. What have I done that has perverted your justice? What have I done that has stopped your justice from going forth? Help me to understand this. What would you want of me? Forgive me. Show me the way forward. Man, we do that between our meals or at our meals. That time between is now enacting what Habakkuk is creating. It's that space where discipline, trust, doubt can take, foot, can take action, can have life, can move us toward maturity. So all that talk, we will go to God uh, now in prayer. We sang, I need you.